This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Ephesians 6 verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Today is what has become known as Father's Day, and this morning I want to speak to the fathers in the congregation from the Scripture to encourage you in your calling as leaders in your homes. And the text speaks very directly to fathers and ye fathers. If we were to ask the question, whose duty, whose responsibility is it to raise the child? The answer that God's word gives us here is in in the way this text confronts fathers and you fathers. It places that responsibility directly on the shoulders of the father. This is not first the woman's responsibility, the mother's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It's not something that we leave to an institution like a school. Certainly as Christians, we know that it's not the responsibility of society or government to raise our children. Children are not to be left to themselves and to whatever influences they might stumble upon in their lives. They're not to be left to their own sinful natures to raise themselves. No, you fathers, you fathers, you fathers, I say it's confronting. And it's confronting because as men we need to hear this in the busyness of life and in the pursuit of material things. The years quickly fly by and we don't have much time with our children. Off to work, home weary, effort into many other things and not much with the children or towards the children. And our nature besides that is selfish, and so if we can delegate or abdicate or if we can walk away or hand over these responsibilities to somebody else and then pursue the things that interest us, that's what our selfish nature will do. And perhaps sometimes those pursuits are even of legitimate things, but we give priority to the wrong legitimate things. You fathers, how seriously, men, fathers, do you take this responsibility? How intentional are you in your responsibilities towards your children? How involved are you in their daily life, in their instruction, in their correction? How encouraging are you in your in their lives? Would your children say 10 years from now that they were shaped and formed in their childhood by your direct input? You fathers, are we leaving too much to our wives? Are we leaving too much to the institutions on which we depend? the church, and the school, your fathers. Our task, that's what we want to look at this morning, primarily from the text. It's expressed both in the negative and the positive. And first of all, we want to look at the positive. That's there in the second part of the verse. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to give to you at the beginning a an, an alternative translation that I think gets the thoughts more clearly before us. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture here is really in the wrong place. So this is what the text is saying literally. Nurture them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. 
nurtured them in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. And really, positively, this part of the verse puts three main responsibilities before the Father. Tenderness, that's the nurture, discipline, and instruction. Tenderness, discipline, and instruction. Bring them up, that is, nurture them. There's the idea of nourishing and cherishing something. That's the word that's used, the same word that's used in chapter 5, verse 29, when it says of a man, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as Christ the church. So it's talking about Christ's love for the church, and a man's love for his wife, and a man's care for his own physical well-being, and it's saying this is what you must do. You must nurture, you must cherish your children. We have plants and fish in our house, and they only survive in the right environment. And that's the idea. Create an environment, a loving environment that is conducive to the healthy spiritual and emotional growth of the child. Be tender. Tend to your children. Understand them. Give them attention. Care for them. Be gentle. Be sympathetic. Show concern. Psalm 103, the tender love a father has for all his children dear, such love the Lord bestows on them who worship him in fear. And the psalm continues, he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. He has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. He's merciful. This is what it is to be like God as a father, to nurture, to nourish, to cherish, to be tender with your children, to show them that you love them, to create an environment of love in your home. And then that begins, of course, with your children knowing that you are deeply in love with their mother so that they see that love, they hear that love communicated and, and they want to be drawn into that love. Isn't that the way that God himself loves us? He loves his son, Jesus Christ, with a deep and eternal affection. John 1 verse 18 describes the son as the one who dwells in the bosom of the father. John 17, Jesus prays, that they may know the love that thou hadst for me from before the foundation of the world. And when I was a child of God, read about the deep affection of the Father and the Son and the Godhead. My heart yearns for God's embrace. So with your children, you create that environment, that aroma in your home to nurture them, an environment of love. I said tenderness, discipline, and admonition. Discipline. The text again, nurture them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. This word discipline, translated nurture in the King James, has the idea of training through appropriate repeated punishments. It's the word that Pilate used when in Luke 23 verse 16 he says that he would chastise Jesus and then release him. He means, of course, that he would exercise some corporal punishment against him to teach him. That's the idea here. Now, this word is very carefully placed here by the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures and in this verse. It doesn't stand all by itself. That's what I want us to see this morning. Two important connections. First, this discipline follows tenderness and love. Discipline can only work where there is first love. And not all discipline that a father would administer towards a child is love. It's true that a neglect of discipline is a lack of love. He that spares the rod hates his son. But that does not mean that all discipline is an evidence of love. There must first be love. 
than discipline. And it's more important that your child experience your tenderness and your love than your wrath and your anger. And the more that they know your love, the deeper they'll feel your displeasure. Do your children know first your love? So it fits here in the context of tenderness and love. And then it fits here also in connection with instruction, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And Scripture puts much weight on discipline, but never all by itself. It ought not be without destruction. The rod and reproof, Proverbs says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. The importance of of discipline is to enforce the instruction. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him, will drive the foolishness from his heart, so that what is taught is impressed on the sinful mind and heart of the child by the discipline. Discipline impresses on the conscious consciousness, the conscience of the child, the seriousness of disobedience. Proverbs 23 14 says that by the rod you save his soul from hell. And we can think about two kinds of punishments there. A lesser consequence, which is the rod, or a greater consequence, which is hell. And God uses the lesser consequence to save us from the greater. Doesn't God deal with us that way in our lives sometimes too? And what a mercy that is. He, he spares us with a lighter consequence and judgment when we truly deserve something far more severe so that we're warned against hell and awakened from our sin. And so with children, discipline. But it can't stand alone. It follows love. It's accompanied by instruction. Whenever you, we, we use the rod of discipline, there must be with it appropriate verbal instruction directed at the heart of the child. The child must never think of discipline as simply an expression of dad's rage or as a reaction to what he did wrong. The fear of a father's rage all by itself might stop a behavior, but it won't change a heart. The nurture and admonition, the rod and reproof. When it's called here the admonition of the Lord, really what that means is this, that the instruction that we give to our children must be biblical. It must be biblical-based. That's the only thing that will be effective with our children. Your wisdom won't reach their heart. All your talking won't bring them to repentance, but God's word will do that. 2 Timothy 3, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, from a child, which are able, which have the power to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And that biblical instruction, we can really break down into three main areas or three main subjects. And this really helps us to, to be intentional in what the text calls the admonition of the Lord. What three areas? Well, first there's instruction which is aimed at the child's salvation, or we could say their relationship as they stand before God. Second, that instruction is aimed at the the world and their Christian worldview, viewing the world as God's world, and then understanding what sin has done to this world and seeing the effects of sin and living over against that. And then third, This instruction is aimed at themselves and their own heart and their own living, their own lives. So instruction with regard to God and their relationship to him. Instruction with regard to the world and how they are to understand this world. And then instruction with regard to themselves and their place in this world. Those can be the questions 
that are in your mind as you read the scriptures with your children. Sometimes we we read the scriptures, we sit down for family worship, and I know you do this, and we don't always feel equipped to instruct our children. Here's three, I'll say concluding, simple questions you can ask of any passage of scripture. What does this teach us about God and the gospel and Jesus Christ? What does this teach us in the second place about the world that we live in? God is the creator and what's going on in this world, the things around us. So what does it say about God? What does it say about the world? And then what does it say to me? What does it call me to do or to think? And when we think through those questions, we're not just thinking in morality, but we're thinking of ourselves as grounded in God's word and standing in relation to him and living over against the world. Tenderness, discipline, instruction. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon, the danger that we face. That's the negative expression at the beginning of the verse. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. What this phrase tells us is that being a father is a delicate business. Something that we have to do very carefully. Something that we have to do with constant re-evaluation and examination of ourselves, especially when there's a tension between us and our children. Is your child angry? Well, the first thing that you should do is look at yourself. Apply the principle of Matthew chapter 7. Take the beam out of your own eye. Ask the question, have I provoked my child to wrath? Is this my sin? Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. To provoke your child to wrath means that by your sinful behavior as a father, you produce in the child anger or bitterness. You cause, by what you do, the child to become exasperated. And irritated. Now that doesn't mean that you may never do anything that might upset your child. Sometimes as you raise your children in a godly way, they're going to be unhappy with you. They're going to be displeased with the discipline or the instruction. And then you have to let them know that you are the parent. Understand that as a father, you're not here to always please your children, but to do what is best for them and to, and, and to do that which is pleasing to God. Children by nature are not little angels, but are sinners. And if we never go against their will, then we spoil them and we breed selfish and rebellious children. Proverbs 29, verse 15, a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. God doesn't say, in your home, peace at all costs. No, you must be a father. You must be intentional in correction and instruction. But there are ways that fathers can make their children unnecessarily angry. And that's what this is talking about. And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that in our daily life with our children, that we're sinners too. And if we don't recognize that, we will breed a a bitterness that remains, an anger that builds and turns into a resentment towards not only us, but also the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Colossians 3, verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. They become discouraged. And you understand here that this provoking to anger, this discouragement, this resentment, this exasperation isn't just in the moment, but it's long term. And we shouldn't have the attitude, I'm in authority, regardless of my faults, my children are going to listen to me and to submit to me. Those fathers were under the authority of God and were instruments in his hand and his word must govern our conduct towards our children. So what are some ways that 
fathers now especially can provoke their children to wrath. And you see the instruction here, of course, for mothers as well and parents in general. If you're taking notes, there are five things I'll say here, five dangers, five ways that we can provoke our children to wrath. The first is by overindulgence or spoiling of our children. If a child always gets what the child wants, then that child will never learn to respect correction and advice, will never love us. There needs to be this intentional admonition and correction. And if we don't administer that, that itself will provoke our children to wrath. We'll build in them a resentment. In the second place, we can provoke our children to wrath by being unreasonable in rules and in discipline. We have to be reasonable with our children. We have to communicate, especially with our children. If the rules are not communicated and if the rules are unreasonable, then when our children are disciplined, they're going to become very angry because they didn't know any different. They weren't given any other instructions. We ought to listen to our children before hastily correcting them so that there's due process, as it were. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him, Proverbs 18, verse 13. And that's true also in relation to our children. We ought not to be hasty and distant disciplinarians, governed by emotions, no impatience, and with an ear, and also in private. The rule of Scripture is that if you've done something against another Matthew 18, between you and him alone. So it should be as we deal with our children, not to make a fool of them publicly or to shame them, but to address their behavior in love. Another way that children can easily be provoked to wrath is through favoritism in the home. Comparison of children to each other. Special favors to one child and not to the others. Remember, Isaac favored Esau, Jacob favored Joseph, and then you think of the disastrous results in those families. We have to understand that each child that God has given is unique, and that those children mustn't be uh, compared and weighed up against each other so that they're pressured to achieve or to be what another is. Children shouldn't be pressured to achieve beyond their capacity. Think of sports or music or even academics. Yes, they must be faithful in the use of the gifts that God has given to them, but our goal should not be to raise children who are successful, wealthy, educated, but rather children who love and serve the Lord and are faithful to him in the capacity and the place God has given them. God hasn't given us children for us to live vicariously through so that we become proud of them and our ego is boosted, but our children are given for God's glory, not our own. A fourth way that we may provoke our children to wrath is by criticism, constant criticism and negativity, condescending. We make jokes of their mistakes. We humiliate them because, well, they're children. They act like children, and we're embarrassed by them. There's a place for children to be children. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. It was when I became a man that I put away childish things. Now, children are children. They don't need our put-downs. They need love and encouragement, a love that bears them up and hopes all things and believes all things and never rejects them. That's the way that God communicates his love towards us. He remembers our frame. And how many children have been scarred and damaged through constant criticism and negativity without encouragement? And love. One final way that we might provoke our children to wrath is 
by an inconsistency which displays itself especially in hypocrisy. We have all these expectations of our children. We want them to live up to a certain standard before others. And we ourselves put on a good front before others. But the children see the inconsistency. They know what goes on behind closed doors. You're on your best behavior. And your speech is circumspect when you're with others. But behind doors, your life doesn't match the expectations that you have for your children. They become embittered by hypocrisy and they follow the example of the hypocrite. Godliness must be pervasive in the example that we give to our children. Provoke not your children to wrath. That's the negative here. And really it means this, literally, to stop doing this. Stop doing this. Stop provoking your children to wrath. Don't do this anymore. That's the idea. And all of you fathers feel with me both the inadequacy as well as the the failure in this area, don't you? And that brings us to the the way we want to end the sermon this morning, and that is our dependence, our dependence. Too often, as fathers, we lean on our own wisdom and not God's. Too often, we barge into a situation with all the answers rather than in prayer. Too often, we're unwilling to acknowledge our failings out of fear that we'll lose respect. And just as we need to learn tenderness with our children, so we need to learn humility, and repentance. To go to them and to say to the children, I was wrong, I've wronged you, I repent, forgive me. That's not a sign of weakness, but of strength and reliance on God because when you confess your sins, you've thrown yourself onto God in tenderness and humility. Don't you see here our need of God and his grace, our dependence on him? That's here in the last words of the text. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, of the Lord. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Bring them up, not with your answers, your ideas, not by your pride and your goals and your aspirations, but in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, humility that shows itself in prayer, dependence. And so of all the things I've said in the sermon this morning and that this text says to us, You fathers, it isn't first the duty, but it's first the godly character. And that's going to come in these two areas, tenderness towards the children and humility before God. I want to close with two thoughts. Let's think first about the father that God is to us, his tenderness, his discipline, and his instruction. How faithful he is. When we fail, how patient he is when we need discipline. How constant is his instruction of us. Our Father, which art in heaven. That's how Jesus knew God as his Father. That's how he knew him even as he went to the cross. And this is how he teaches us to think of him. Have you not experienced the fatherly love of God, you fathers? And then final closing thought. The time that we have with our children is brief. Soon they grow up. Let's make every moment matter with our children. Let's make every interaction intentional with our children. Don't wish away the years that you have with your children, but seriously and deliberately be tender, both in discipline and instruction. May God bless us through godly fathers in the church. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches, 
through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.